Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on this episode we talk about business transformation, taking companies from the doldrums of professional services to the promised land of being product-led. We talk about ideal product manager behaviours and diagnosing areas of strength and areas of development. We also talk about what product managers and product companies should absolutely not do. For all of this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So, my guest tonight is Dave Martin, product management coach, heavy metal fan, avid mountain biker, former dry ski slope constructor who's now using his construction skills to help teams build better products faster with right to left. Also dabbling in the field of business medicine with his new product management health check. So I think I've uh, tortured my analogies sufficiently. How are you doing, Dave? Hi there. That's a great intro. I think that's possibly the best I've ever had. I'm going to have to steal some of that. I always give it the most effort in the intro and then everything else just goes downhill from there. So first things first, right to left. What do they do uh, for business? Yeah. Right to left is a uh, product coaching business. We Really simply, we help organizations understand the problems they've got with their product management, and then we help them fix them, working with startups and typically startups and private equity-owned organizations. Okay, so is it, is it all startups, or do you tend to also try and do some of the bigger sort of transformation pieces with, with bigger companies as well? Yeah, we work with Series A normally and with private equity-backed businesses who are going normally through some bigger transformation, typically trying to become more product-led and uh, get that get that higher level growth so uh, we are opposite ends of the scale i guess really it's always about uh typically the challenges are always about how to be more customer focused how to make better product decisions and then how to really make lean processes work for them okay so when did you when did you start up and and, and how many companies have you been working with so far yeah well we kicked off when i left tez i was chief product officer over there at tez global september 2019 and uh we started straight away so it's what, all 16 months, I guess, roughly, something like that. Since then, we've worked with nine or 10 organizations spread between London and LA, not purposefully in LA, just happened to be there. And uh, it was very sunny at the time and winter here. So made for a nice trip back when we were allowed to get on planes. <laughs> One question I do have without wishing to sound too feisty is, uh, why should people listen to you? What's your background? Yeah, I think that's a great question and one I get asked quite a lot. Because <laughs> uh, no one listens to me, but I'm I'm hoping that you can give me some inspiration as to why I can make people listen to me. Mainly the companies and people we work with are going through some form of transformation. You know, like a Series A is going through transformation because they found product market fit and now they're focusing on growth. Private equity are always going through transformation because they've bought at one price and want to sell it for quite a bit more in a few years' time. And that's not going to happen without transformation. My career... Everything I've done in my history is always transformation. I have helped and worked in various leadership roles, transforming organizations. And uh, the last one at Tez Global, you know, when I started, there wasn't a product department at all. And the business was all transactional revenue. And when I left and when we sold it, we were a SaaS organization with over 70% of our revenue on subscription. But that's quite a journey, the consultancy through to product-led organization or, or, or heavily product-led I mean that's that's not an easy thing to do so 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 what were some of the kind of key ways that you managed to bed that in yeah it's really it is tricky to do it and uh, thankfully I had some good experience working with some great people over the years I think the 
the key areas that we always focus on is helping the organization really understand what its purpose is, making sure that's clear for everybody, what the goals are, what the outcomes are. And then from the product development side, really it's about embracing the key principles of lean. And and the key part that really matters more than anything is stopping making feature decisions, solutionizing at the top end of the business and doing it at the coalface where we face the customer and understanding and planning that the solutions we might come up with might fail instead of planning for them to be 100% correct. I think that my favorite analogy of this, and maybe it's one that you may have seen, is the spaghetti challenge. I'm not sure if you've seen that. It's not an eating challenge, is it? No, it's not an eating <laughs> challenge. I'm afraid I'd be pretty good at that. It's a, uh, it's a sp- the spaghetti challenge is a, it's a TED talk by Tom Wujek. And uh, it's a r- fantastic, well worth a watch if anybody is interested. They get the challenge is to get uh, people in teams to build a spaghetti tower. They've got quite strict restrictions over how much spaghetti and tape and string you can use. And at the end, you've got, once you've built your tower, you've got to put a marshmallow on the top. And the team at the end of however many minutes, I think it's 15 minutes, the team with the tallest tower wins. And the disappointing thing is, is that primary school kids, teams of children, outperform <laughs> MBA grads, CEO team, teams of CEOs, teams of lawyers, pretty much every kind of team you can imagine, these primary school kids beat them. And when you watch the research and see it, it's always the same thing. The MBAs, the CEOs, all the rest, we've been trained through our business life to plan for a year, execute, and hope it all works well. And so they plan, they argue a lot, they see who's going to be the CEO of Spaghetti Tower, and then they eventually build something. They build it as big as they can, and then they put the marshmallow on in like the last three seconds before the deadline. And always the marshmallow is heavier than they expected (laughs) because they thought a marshmallow was light. And the spaghetti breaks into this tumble horrid rubble pile of pasta the kids don't do that they test and learn they're naturally we are naturally lean we just have had it beaten out of us over the years of official clever business processes so the kids they put the they put the marshmallow on straight away it breaks and then they build a better structure and the marshmallow stays on and they beat they beat everybody else well, yeah, it's it's very common. Well, there's a couple of things that 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 that, that brings to mind. One of which is that there seems to be a bit of a almost like a, a wind blowing against MBAs, sort of uh, in kind of PR terms. There's a lot, a lot of people are speaking out against MBAs and saying that yeah, they're obviously great if you need to have an MBA to get into a into a job because that's a job requirement. But apart from that, that anyone that's been around business for a while will probably be able to pick most of it up. And I. I don't know if that's fair or true, and I've I've not got an MBA, so I've no idea. But it, it's certainly an opinion that I've seen widely shared. And yeah, I think the other thing is, like you say, just that that kids. I mean, I've got two kids, still still you know relatively young, and and it, it is interesting seeing as as they kind of as you say, kind of get beaten into shape by society and by school. So uh, maybe we should all try and kind of embrace our inner youth a little bit more. Yeah, well, uh, maybe we should, I'll stay off the topic of education after spending three years at <laughs> TED Global, where we were an ed tech business, uh, a leading news organization talking about education. So uh, there's, there's plenty wrong there, unfortunately, but uh, <laughs> that's not my speciality. My speciality is software and uh, building SaaS-type products. But but Tez was a 100-year-old company, right? It's, it's, a, it's a big old traditional company. So I imagine that Whilst obviously you you seem to have 
made that you know, made a successful transition as, as you as you described it seems that that must have been quite a battle i mean i imagine it would be at least yeah it it, it, it is a battle especially in you know publishing a business that started off as publishing which is really traditional and old-fashioned and draconian business you know effectively it's a manufacturing company it's not now but it was 100 years ago you know they manufactured papers and uh newspapers or magazines and that's a very deterministic industry and i think i think that's some of the challenge that we we have to get help people understand and when ceos and board members understand it the light bulbs go on if we have a deterministic problem we know exactly how we're going to solve it then the challenge is really easy and we don't need product management you need a bunch of project managers the requirement yep. clear let's just go build it and implement it whatever it might be yep where it's non-deterministic is the problem where we don't really know what the best solution is, but we do know what we want to achieve, what the outcome is. That's when we need the product function. And unfortunately, IT grew up, developers and engineering and technology, it's grown up around the concept that things are deterministic. So we end up with a traditional IT approach, that that feature-driven approach where the solution can be cooked up in a meeting room somewhere with senior execs signing off on some great ideas and then just go and created and you know i'm not actually convinced that ever worked in it but, <laughs> but let's pretend it whether it did or didn't that's that's the tradition and we need companies to recognize that that just doesn't work and the, the problems are non-deterministic and if they're worth to be honest if they're worth solving they're non-deterministic that's where innovation comes that's where product differentiation comes and if we just want to be a copycat and the same as the guy down the road then you don't need product managers you just need project managers to write the specs about the guy down the road if you want to innovate and create new value for end users and deliver value for customers and therefore in the end shareholders you've got to drive through innovation and that's through non-deterministic approaches and that's what product managers that's all product management is about really and that's what lean is about it's about discovering and learning the best solution as we go because we know we can't possibly know the right answer at the beginning yeah i think that i completely agree of course being a a product person myself but it it, it's one of those things that seems to not necessarily land very well with certain traditional types of of senior management because of course there's this kind of feeling and, and this isn't just about the type of problem but also things around things like road mapping for example like yeah, they're you know, wanting to put specific dates on a roadmap plan, everything out exquisitely up front, either in a, a waterfall fashion or a kind of a fake agile fashion where they've taken a waterfall and drawn lines on it or whatever. It's like they, there's almost like a a security blanket. Oh, it's got it's got dates on it and, and, and we can shoot for those and, and we deliver for those and, and it gives everyone a full sense of, of security. Uh, the, I think my analogy has always been: well, we're, we're not we're not working on a production line, you know. We're not we're not like stamping buttons out of a bit of plastic or whatever, you know. We're we try to work out how to do it as we go, and that's always going to be challenging. Yeah, I think that. I mean, the roadmap you've hit mentioned, you know, one of my pet peeves there. You know, as a tool, I have no problem with the roadmap at all, but as where it fits in today's typical product organization, is it becomes in a tool that. Managers who, and senior leadership who don't understand product processes, it's a tool for those people to try and increase accountability of product teams. And it's a tool they use to try and increase product performance, which is the, one of the major problems we help at right to left help organizations, help CEOs and founders with improve product performance. 
And unfortunately, they go about it too often. The common mistake is let's put all those dates on that roadmap. We've made people commit to the date and we can continuously beat the drum about the date and encourage them to hit that number. And the, the challenge with that is unfortunately, it creates two immediate behaviors in product teams. The first terribly negative one is it creates Parkinson's law, which states that however long you give for a task, the task will take up. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, the gas fills the room, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. So even if it could have been quicker, it won't be. And uh, then the worst one, even far worse, really, is it encourages teams to be pressured by time, which in- means that they start to make really bad decisions. And the first terribly bad decision they make is they decide not to test and learn. They decide not to talk to customers they, because they don't have time. In reality, they don't have time not to, but they don't realize that. It's to you focus on, well, we're not making an output by doing this. So and that's not helping us achieve the goal. So we better only do tasks that create outputs. And that immediately ends up in the position where the outputs you're creating might be being delivered quickly and on time, but they're the wrong outputs completely. And that's how 11%, according to uh, a recent research I read recently, 11% of products miss their targets, their business targets. That 11, that, you know, it's one in 10 almost that achieve their business targets. That's because they built the wrong thing. And that deadline has caused that behavior. You know, so the roadmap is, as far as I'm concerned, our biggest enemy in order to deliver any value for the business. I would much rather use the more modern OKR approach as the roadmap instead. And it's just a bunch of out, a list of outcomes that we want to achieve over the year. And our OKR approach involving the whole organization will prioritize those list of outcomes for us. And then the team will be empowered to go and find the best way to deliver it. Yep. And again, I obviously agree. So one of the things your consultancy offers is a product management health check. What does that involve and, and what's the output of that? That's kind of you to ask about it. It's uh, The product health check's really, uh, really quite simple. It's three stages. We do a little bit of analysis on what an organization's stage is, you know, where they are in their business cycle and the product cycle, you know, the product life cycle. And then we, from that, we advise on what are the key competencies, the key product mindsets and that's thinking and attitude and the key processes that you need to succeed for your business goals given where you are today and where you're trying to achieve then we look at the team and we analyze the team with some competencies surveys we analyze the team with something we've got called the product mindset survey which uh, i'll can talk a little bit more about later and then we using the results of those two things we've pinpoint where some problems areas might be and then we do some interviewing of the product teams and the product managers and the product leaders around those areas that have, that have, that have spiked in those, in those surveys so that we can then identify where the gaps are. And then the third part of the, the health check is, well, here's your target. Here's your current position. Here's your target position. These are the next steps you need to do to get there. And, and, and t- typically, there'll be three or four key next steps. Probably two of them are something the organization can do immediately on their own and then the other two are things we can often help with so has there ever been that kind of almost like hospital drama style like do you want to sit down before you get the results type uh result or, or is everyone kind of somewhere in the middle no no there's definitely been a few where there uh where, where we've uh, had to deliver some bad news and uh find the nicest kindest way to do that without uh causing too much discomfort use a puppet yeah that's it use a puppet <laughs> yeah 
get Kermit to do it. But the um, <laughs> typically the the response because we're talking normally to CEOs and founders, they're 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 thick skinned enough and they want to hear it because they they under, they often end up agreeing with it very quickly. They're home truths and they they're, they're hard to hear, but uh, unless somebody's written them down, you're never going to fix them. And obviously that's that's fair and 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 you're right that people generally are going to agree even that there are problems and some of them may not even be surprises I guess but it's very different talking to talk and and walking the walk and do you kind of get involved after that to help them walk the walk or is it kind of on them to 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 use or not use your recommendations I mean it's always up to them to use or not use the recommendations obviously but uh you know and I hope normally they do otherwise it was a waste of our time and we didn't give value <laughs> but no no typically we typically there's a, a couple of coaching areas we can help with support with with, with moving things forward normally supporting helping people learn about more about hypothesis driven development and testing we have a coaching program called the customer first program uh, which is very popular for a lot of the clients that use our health check we do a lot of goal-focused coaching with the product leaders to help them achieve some of the goals they've got. And then some of the other outcomes and recommendations will be things we can't help with. Sometimes there's recruitment needs, which you know we're not recruiters. We can't help with that. Sometimes there's some bigger strategy consultancy to be done. And we, we used to do that kind of work, but now we're very much focused just on the, on the coaching side. And what's the outcome you've had so far that you that's made you happiest or, or proudest? Like the one the one where you feel you've made the most impact. I mean, I'm assuming you can't give too many details. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a great question. There's been a few actually that are really pleased of and proud of. I think that that was working with a an accountancy firm. They write they they write software for accountants, and the feedback we got after the after some engagement with those guys was so positive when they wrote back saying to us updating us months later on the progress they made how successful it had become after we'd helped them improve how they do things you know and they, they'd launched this e-learning project and it's absolutely smashed all the numbers and expectations that people expected they'd literally helped fill a gap in this particular industry of um, a shortfall of talent by tr- which effectively is t- training their own creating their own future customers and put thousands of people through this and gain them qualified to uh, to fill this shortage. And you know, that was so, so great because not only did we help help them achieve it, they helped an industry fix a real problem that that industry was suffering. Right, it's that old force multiplier cliche, right? You you've you've put the put the work in, and it's it's paid dividends. I uh, I hope they at least sent you a t shirt or a little like branded calculator to to thank you afterwards as well. Yeah, they've stayed in touch very much so. And uh, it's always nice. Pretty much everybody we work with, we've ended up staying in touch with, even when the engagement finishes. It's almost like a right to left alumni now of, uh, <laughs> and updating us of all the great stuff they're doing. You know, So it's, it's really exciting. No, I mean, that sounds really great. And it's great, it's great to have that impact. Uh, we also spoke before this about how product manager means different things to different companies. And yeah, as we've kind of touched on, some people maybe even think of product manager as a project manager. Some people will think, you know, it's kind of a marketing role. Some people will think it's just a, a, a tech management role or something like that. What examples have you seen or what's your worst example of, of what a product manager is not? <laughs> what, what a product manager is not. That's awesome. I love it. Well, it, you've named a few, obviously, already. It's not a project manager. Yeah, I didn't manager. want to make it easy for you. <laughs> it's not a project manager. I think the uh, the worst examples are where the product manager is really just this requirements gatherer, just somebody 
who sits there somehow in the organization as a conduit between engineers and the customer or the business user. Adding zero value other than just writing stuff down. I mean, the the days of the end of product just writing user stories and somehow thinking that creates value is uh, is hopefully gone, but unfortunately it's not. I'm trying to think of some other good examples of where it's really bad beyond you know beyond that, which is terrible as it anyway. Uh, I've seen somewhere their product somehow ended up filling the white space of being training. And that's never that's never helpful. I think actually, if I think the more I think about it, and it's such a good question, the more I think about it, the worst example is where product end up becoming pre-sales. Right. Yeah. And I've seen that quite a lot where product where because saying to your customer as a sales guy, hey, we can let's have this meeting. We'll bring in the product manager and they'll talk about all this future exciting stuff on the roadmap and tell you all the dates of when it'll be delivered. <laughs> the uh, that that gives them a reason to have another meeting with a senior stakeholder in a, in a client uh, or, or within a sales within a prospect, and that's a good good excuse for them to get another meeting and an easy way to do it. And suddenly, product end up in this room in a sales role, doing a pre-sales job, and you know they're getting no value out of it. They're not helping the organization build better products. We, they could have just hired a pre-sales guy to do that. It's uh, and they it distracts completely. And it's even worse than the distraction it creates. You, you very quickly see then that the product managers end up focusing on one or two large clients' real demands and symptoms, worse still. And then suddenly you find these features that have appeared just because of this large client who had this one symptom. They didn't get under the covers to the root cause and solve that. They just fixed the surface symptom, so it wasn't really very valuable. And worse still, it was probably only for one or two clients. So, uh, yeah, pre-sales, is, PMs becoming pre-sales is my uh, nightmare. <laughs> I think, you know, it's it's interesting because there's also the cliche that, that product managers are kind of there to, to fill in the gaps, uh, like to do basically anything that needs to get done to get the product done. Yeah. Or not done, but, you know, to, to, to move the product forward. And I think that's, I think it's fair to a point. You know, you, you, you obviously have to help out and pitch in and, if it's your responsibility to to make a product succeed, then it's it's good to fill in where you have to. But it, it, yeah, you're right; it shouldn't be, shouldn't be a job. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hear that quite a lot. That, and I think I'm even use it myself quite a bit. You know, product is there to fill some of the white space, and you know, I think that's acceptable. But the, I think, like you say, the difference is when the white space is there. Is there <laughs> it's just the space. Um, yeah, just everything. Yeah, just, it's just always there. It's just <laughs> rather than rather than a uh, white space that's appeared and is going to disappear. Um, yeah, that's that's a real problem. I think the question about you know the roles being very different. Obviously, different companies view product differently, which is part of the problem. But even where organisations understand what product management is and they're implementing it quite well, even then the roles can be very different within one organisation between different product managers, and that's where that product manager mindset tool comes in place. The new profiling tool, which we're launching it in the next couple of weeks, so that. Anybody can use it for free. We we use it now with our customers, but we'll soon have it where anyone can go and check out their profile. And it, it focuses on six characters, six characteristics that we, we call epical. They're empathy, process, imagination, commercial, analytical, and learning. And what it does is helps, gives you a picture of where your strengths, where you over-index in one of those things or where you under-index. And when you think about, I could say, a, a company that's got two product lines, They've got this core product line that's doing really well. It's been around for a while. It's in growth across the chasm. 
and uh, is, is booming. The product manager job there is all about optimization and retention. It's, a, it's really very clear what they've got to achieve. And the product manager sitting on the second product line, which is younger, which is designed to try and improve customer lifetime value, typically, you know, it's the upsell. It's a brand new product, and their job is about product market fit. So even in the same organization with two PMs in the same room, effectively, in the same office, they need completely different mindsets. They can't be copying each other because it's a different, it's a very different job. You know, if you're super, if you're all about, if you've got no commercial focus right now and you're all thinking about empathy and learning from the customer, which is often the case at product market fit stage, if that's your mindset, because that's where you came from, when you've now you're in growth optimization mode, you're going to fail because you're going to make the wrong decisions. Yeah, it's everything, everything that's like a nail when you've got a hammer, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, so what's your opinion of uh, product owner as an actual job title? I think product owner is a, uh, a role in the scrum process, uh, a role that anybody could take in the business. It doesn't have to be somebody who's got product management experience. The, the, that process in scrum is not a process of deciding what the best things to build are. It's simply a, a you know an administrative role to and a communicative role, so uh, I don't consider it a product management job title. It's just unfortunate it has the word product in it. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of companies seem to have it as like almost like a junior PM though, which is so a bit of a bugbear of mine as well. To be honest, it, it's it's like you know you you should manage the product. I think that trend is growing. Unfortunately, I really do. I've seen a few companies, Jason, say where their junior PMs are called product owners and. When I've asked why, they've said, oh, well, you know, we don't want them to feel junior. We don't want them to, you know, because they've typically come from a different, you know, they might be, have been a marketing manager before in quite a decent role. We don't want them to suddenly feel all junior. It feels really negative. And I was like, well, so you want the false concept of confidence and people running around thinking they can do the job already. That's not good either. So uh, I prefer that where companies call it APMs, where they're associate product managers. I think that's a bit, bit it's a more uh, sensitive job title but it's not pretending it's something it isn't. Yeah, I think that's very fair. So obviously you, you've spent a lot of time working out how to judge someone's product management skills and their profile and, and, and kind of their level. What would be one of the, the key things that you'd call out as a, as a characteristic of a, of a good product manager? Inquisitive and curious without ego. And what would you consider one of the hallmarks of a great uh, product leader? Oh, great product leader. Now, that's slightly different. Um, yeah, because yeah. so, I presume it includes some of what you just said. Yeah. But there's there's an, another layer to the yeah. onion, right? I think it's interesting. I've seen some amazing product leaders who have no product management experience. Uh, and that, that kind of highlights the point. You know, To be a great manager and leader isn't necessarily anything to do with being a great contributor and practitioner. The best leaders are those that are able to stand back and give their teams space and empowerment not trying to do the team's job for them and uh often when pms make that that's the senior pm makes that transition into leadership they can't let go of the tools and they want to still do it and uh that that causes chaos so uh the great product leader has got to be somebody who is ideally from the background in my opinion and can give mentorship but really they've got to be brilliant coaches they've got to be brilliant coaches combined with a political nuance to be able to navigate the corporate 
It does feel like a very different role, though. I mean, certainly one of the things that I've seen called out and something that I've looked at or I've considered as a kind of as part of my journey is the kind of imposter syndrome you get from going from that individual contributor level. You could argue that a product manager isn't really an individual contributor because they're they're mainly there to kind of get other people to you know to conduct other people effectively. But then there's that sort of the the non-individual contributor type, individual contributor in the product terms, who then becomes the leader of a bunch of, of product managers. And that layer of abstraction starts to make you really think that, well, surely I should be doing some of this stuff. And I think it could be a really tricky, a really tricky journey. Yeah, I think it's that, that journey from product manager to product leader is is really hard. And I, when we do goal-focused coaching, we help a lot of product leaders on that journey. You know, the typical challenges, you know, it's how, how are they going to manage the senior stakeholders, the investors or or peers and the, the exec and the their peers on the exec. You know, when you look around the room, they've typically got much larger budgets. They've typically come from, got had a lot more management, like line management experience, because product managers typically have very little line management experience. That's not what they do, you know. So they're they're sitting at that big table at the top table, often with the smallest budget, with the least headcount, the least line management experience, but importantly, some of the most important biggest decisions for the company. That that's a lot to carry. That's a lot of weight. So uh, you know, they need you have to learn the right tools to be able to present the right information to prioritize correctly. You have to take all that great attributes you had as a pm like prioritization time management and stakeholder management but apply it laterally in a different way and it's not hard to that transition isn't hard once you see the way it just takes some time to make the journey and once you've got that expectation management right and you're started to think about your priority is empowering your people you know you effectively start looking as your staff as your product if that's not too um too crude <laughs> you know, they're still people obviously but if you start focusing on that how can you make your 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 people that work for you as successful as possible then you start to see pm leaders absolutely prosper no absolutely absolutely something something that i've always, i've been striving to do as again i've progressed through my career so if we think of room 101 what Product management behavior would you want to put into Room 101? Oh, I love this. Room 101 question. <laughs> <laughs> Lots. <laughs> if it's, only, it's only got room for one, I'm afraid. Uh, um, I, think, I think one of the behaviors I would really like to see put in Room 101 for product managers is getting rid of hurried decision making without any evidence um that 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 non that opinionated decision making that every pm at some point knows they do you know and that that might be driven by some stakeholder or it more than often is driven by a bias that they've already got and that bias decision making is what leads to products failing so if they can keep to being evidence driven with their decision making they're going to make the best decisions so bias-based decisions which really is opinionated so it's putting their opinions to one side i think it's the possibly apocryphal quote from jeff bezos which is like if you come to me with opinions 
it's going to be my opinion that wins. But so come to me with data or something along yeah, those lines. Like yeah, I think it's in uh, it's in the hard things, the hard things about hard things book uh, as well. That quote, a great quote, exactly that. Yeah. So the the opposite of that we want to put in room one hundred and one. Exactly, and just in case any of my listeners aren't aware, room one hundred and one is really based on a, a British TV show where you put all the stuff that you don't like. But obviously, originally from nineteen eighty four, uh, the 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 torture room. Definitely a place that you want to put bad things, not good. You said before this call that you you don't like pessimism. So I'd like one optimistic, inspirational quote, please. An optimistic, inspirational quote. The sort that you would be proud to put on a on a meme on LinkedIn. My favourite quote, and during a particularly tough time in a startup I once ran, my wife printed it and framed it and put it above my desk. <laughs> It's from Churchill, and it's uh, a successful man is one that can get up after being knocked down with no loss of enthusiasm. There you go. Very uh, inspirational, and I think staying power is important when, when when you're in product as well. I mean, it's it's it can be a tricky uh, can be a tricky gig sometimes. So definitely definitely feel that one. Where can people get in touch with you if they want to uh, catch up with you after this and find out some more stories or some more about uh, what your practice can do for them? Yeah, um, then. Find me on LinkedIn. Uh, pretty easy. I'm at Dave. You can look me up at Dave Martin, but uh, I'm on Twitter at product underscore Dave. And of course, just go to the website uh, from right to left, www.righttoleft.io. And uh, my email and contact forms there. In fact, I think there's even a Calendly link. They can arrange a meeting if they want. You know you've arrived when you've got a Calendly link. Excellent. Well, I'll uh, make sure to put that in the notes. And uh, it's been a really fantastic chat and really interesting to, to hear about some of your initiatives and, and some of your great experience. Let's keep in touch and, and thanks very much. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. As ever, thank you for lending me your ear. I hope you enjoyed the episode and remember there are loads of other episodes you can check out on onenightinproduct.com or your favourite podcast app. I'd also appreciate it if you'd share widely with your friends. But for now, thanks. And good night.